Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. You know, interestingly enough, uh, Michelle and I are here and we are sitting here talking about, you know, kind of a continuance, Michelle, to our last uh, episode where we're talking a little bit about DEI in the workplace, right? And how it really impacts. But these articles continue to drive us forward and have discussions and it just never, ever stops. Uh, so, Michelle, like, let's talk about it. You sent me an article and you're like, we need to talk about this in the podcast. Like, what were your initial thoughts? Like, why did that really hit home for you? Well, I think one of the reasons that it hit home to begin with is I had recently had a conversation that was a prime example of toxic masculinity. But what I appreciated about this article was it was able to link something very popular in a social setting like a movie. And it was able to use that movie to kind of juxtaposition the bad associated with toxic masculinity. But as I was looking at that article, I actually remembered conversations that you and I have had for about two years now. And I remembered really great conversations that we had with a friend of ours, Joe Gast, as well as I'm always bringing up um, my niece, Brianna Elder, when I talk about it in this. And all of us together have talked about the idea of being allies. And I actually, I actually don't know that I am solely in love with the term allies, because it does imply that you would stand side by side, right? That I'm your ally. We're in this together. So I get where the term is, but I almost feel like you have to go beyond just being an ally. On LinkedIn the other day, I shared a video that a friend posted on their page, um, a former colleague had posted. And it was a video of, I hate when I'm bad with names, What's his name? He was the Terminator. And then he was... Arnold Schwarzenegger. Thanks. Thanks. It was a video where he talked about white supremacists in particular, having been born in Austria um, right after World War II. He had a lot of direct contact with that culture. And in it, he mentioned that it was not okay to be silently, to silently oppose. It is time to get uncomfortable. And so when I saw that article, I sort of thought to myself, why don't we just spread it throughout this year for us or however long it takes. And as a group, you and I just come back over and over trying to spread the truth instead of just being partners and allies, let's actually be willing to say why certain behaviors are not acceptable and what we expect instead. I mean, it's important. I feel, and we say this every time, why do we still have to keep talking about DE&I and how it's impacting the workplace and the rights and wrongs of certain terminology or processes or, you know, culture and all that kind of stuff, right? So... It's interesting that we're going to continue driving this message and intertwine it in a lot of our series because I think it's a really important discussion to have. And I think it's just good for us to have conversations about it, right or wrong, however we feel about the, you know, the topics. I think it'll really bring some of our listeners 
together as you're, as you all are listening to this and really kind of identifying, wait, do I do this? Do I say that? Do you know what I mean? Uh, how is this right. impacting our work environment or at least my personal life? Um, you know, how am I doing that in the day to day? So yeah, definitely. And, you know, normally in a lot of situations, when I have opinions on the podcast and you've heard me say this before, Maria, I'll be like, you guys can send nastograms if you want to. I don't care because I think I'm right here. So here's the thing. I am confident that I am right and that behaviors need to change. Like you will never change my mind here. But as listeners, I want you guys to reach out because it's not until we start to create open dialogue so that you can understand where I'm coming from and then I can understand where you're coming from, it's not until those things happen, till dialogue happens, that I think you start to pause to realize what the problem is. And I, I can even look through the journey of our podcast in general, and I can tell you that without doubt, I've grown because I've been able to listen to some of our guests on these podcasts. I thought, honestly, I was pretty open-minded that I was an advocate and an ally. And the more I pause to listen to other people's perspectives, the more it shows me where my gaps are and where I can stand out or speak out even more than I do. So I don't think any of us are there yet. And we won't be unless we have uncomfortable conversations. So let's dive into it. Michelle, let's talk about this article. It's a Fast Company article. And I will tell you, I'm usually really picky about articles. So I went through it, read it. And it's a really good one. It's by a gentleman named David Taffet. And I hope I did not get your name wrong, David. But it's called Rooting Out Toxic Masculinity in the Workplace one cowboy at a time. And what spurred his article was he had an opportunity to watch the globe winning movie that has uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in it called Power of the Dog. And it is based on a 1920s cowboy concept in Montana. So if you think about Um, the United States of America in general, the um, kind of a cowboy mentality in the 1920s, you're absolutely looking at a situation where the idea of toxic masculinity is at the forefront. But before we get too far ahead of that, I want to make sure that we align on what we're talking about when we say toxic masculinity, because We're not talking about an attack on all traits that are typically considered masculine traits. And whether you use the terms masculine, feminine, whether you use the terms yin and yang, it's the idea of kind of that one masculine energy versus the feminine energy. But what we're literally talking about here is a set of attitudes and behaviors that are stereotypically associated with men. And often those expectations or those behaviors, those attitudes, if you will, 
not only are they detrimental to men in general, they are detrimental to everyone who is expected to to associate with that man. And I'm not not even necessarily, and there's a lot of there's a lot of research that proves that violence can be a direct impact of an extremely toxic masculinity case. But what I'm talking about in general is even just not allowing you to have normal conversations with people, not allowing you to express yourself accurately when you're around each other. So it's really about the attitude. For example, saying things like you need to man up or get over it. Don't act like a baby. Get over it. You're a big boy. Quit acting like a child. Like even those kind of things. And that's outside of a work environment usually, usually. But even those things, they set in motion a belief that if I'm man, like boys don't cry. If I'm a man, that I have to be strong. I have to be brave all the time. I got to suck it up. I've got to be the toughest person in the room. And the problem becomes when you translate that to society, you now impose all of those beliefs on anyone you perceive weaker than you. Okay, that was a lot. (laughs) It's good, but it's digestible content. I think it's important for the listeners to understand that because they probably could have shut off our podcast within seconds before we explain that. So, <laughs> yeah, because I, I do think a lot of times people hear the the phrase toxic masculinity and they immediately, you immediately apply what I tend to refer to as cultural definitions. So you immediately start to think what toxic means to you. And then you start to think what masculine means to you. And as a man, it may feel like you're saying male traits are bad. And that's, that is not and never will be what the concept is. The concept is to address the attitudes and behaviors that keep you as a, as a male from expressing yourself as a whole person and not just a strong, domineering, always winning, always in charge. You don't have to always be put to get pu- pulled together, right? And so I agree with you. That's the reason we wanted to start by kind of addressing that. So this is not about an attack. It's about attitudes that are detrimental, not only to men, but to society as a whole. Yeah. So let's talk about what are key things that individuals need to look for in the workplace or be certainly conscious about, or, you know, at least be open to identifying and discussing. So typically when you think about behaviors in the workplace, a lot of it will revolve around actions, attitudes, or even phrases that you hear. If you work in an environment where every person will do anything necessary to avoid losing, you might have a negative culture. If there is an environment where people or even in different departments could be bullied and that's expected as a part of working here, if you will, then you might be working in an environment where toxic masculinity is out of control. If you are expected to restrain your emotions at all costs, 
if you find that the only mo- emotions that are allowed to show up at work are you know, extreme pride or frustration and anger, you might also be living in a, working in an environment that is detrimental. If being strong, being aggressive, not being able to display vulnerability or admit your imperfections is something that you can't do at work, then you are likely living in a culture that has toxic masculinity. Yeah. And so I think that that's, those are good examples because I know we used examples of like toughen up and boys don't cry and things like that in your personal life, which definitely feel conscious about. I think those were also like, when we talk about toxic masculinity, I think a lot of that, those cultural views uh, that you mentioned, like toughen up and boys don't cry and things like that, that came from a culture of the past. I think there were these expectations and dynamics in certain eras and the world has evolved since then. Yes. And I think in the workplace too, there has been evolution and things to be very mindful of. And I think we need to take a look and set the precedent of this to make sure that there is not a toxic masculinity in the workplace. Right. And you, it's interesting. Change is hard, right? But absolutely, if you look at where the world has evolved from, you know, there were absolutely times where there weren't houses built out of brick with solid doors and locks, right? And that anyone could just barge into your hut or any animal. And so there were times where brute strength was the difference between surviving and not surviving, but the evolution that we have gone through has changed that. And we have not necessarily changed along with it. That's true. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, there's any men listening into this podcast saying, well, what about toxic feminism? So it's, it's interesting is you know, we, when we talk about toxic masculinity, again, I think a lot of people always go to how it's beating up the characteristics of a male. But what you find is a lot of that toxic masculinity continues to impose toxicity from a female perspective as well. It continues to force females to behave in a way that is expected or typical. You know, I've talked recently about some really cool experiences that I had to get in front of groups of people before. And in front of one of those groups, it was the toughest conversation I ever had because I was playing the part of a facilitator of the conversation. And when I'm truly in that role, I attempt to not give or exert my opinion because my job is just to help them express whatever the conversation or the situation is about. But during the conversation, an example was used, which was a clear example of kind of gender expectation that was unacceptable. And it was something along the facts, along the the lines of you are a woman order lunch, basically. It was something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the woman that it happened to, so it was a room full of senior leaders and there was only one female as a part of that senior leader group. 
they were all peers. They had, they all had the same title. They were all from a C-suite, right? So it wasn't like she was an administrative assistant or even a vice president. She was a peer to the people at the table. And one of them made a comment about um, her being so good handling lunch. And she had what I thought (laughs) I would never have been strong enough to be this composed. And she simply said, because there was a follow-up comment about, you know, what's going to be for lunch? I'm really excited. And she said, me too. Let me know when you decide what you're going to (laughs) order. And so, and she said next month, but then because she wanted to set the tone that it's okay that we take turns, right? That we all own this. And she said, next month, I have a really great idea. um, So I'll take the lead next month. And so as that example came up, someone spoke up and said that that was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever heard. That basically, what it sounded like was he could never say anything ever. He could never talk about any topic ever again without fear of pissing someone off. And he's like, what if I'm talking about the Super Bowl? And I was like, are you kidding me here? We're talking about things that have a clear link to an unacceptable behavior. And frankly, I would expect someone to bicker with you about the Super Bowl, especially if you were on opposing teams, right? But right. we're talking about clearly definable things that are unacceptable in the workforce. And so it was a good conversation that came out of it. But if he hadn't felt comfortable saying, are you kidding? I'm never going to be able to talk again in my life without pissing someone off. And then me being able to say, well, Like, why would you want to go around just saying things that, you know, hurt other people? So it wasn't until we were able to have that conversation that he and I were both able to see where they're coming from. Now he did, Maria, and I'd love your advice on this because he had a super valid point. And I think this is one we need to address, not just with toxic masculinity, but throughout all of these conversations, he said... What if the guy that said it really didn't mean or think anything about it? What if he literally just thought, hey, can you get lunch for us? What if he wasn't trying to hold you back? And there are a lot of those cases where I believe people are not ready to acknowledge the impact of their words. So how do you approach someone who isn't at a place to recognize the impact of their words. Well, and, you know, we've had this happen from, you know, an HR business partner perspective and organizations that I've either supported or, or worked for. And I think what's really critical is that people understand that even though they don't mean it the way that it's been said, because we see that a lot in culture, right? I think the whole Roseanne Barr thing or whoever, right? There's a couple of comedians that are like, oh, I said it as a joke. It's not how I feel, but we're comedians, blah, blah, blah. Or you know, people just say things, but it's literally coming out and they're not realizing how it's being interpreted in the world just because it's no one's ever kind of mentioned that that's not the right approach or the right words. Like literally, if that guy was just like, oh, I I really think she's great at ordering, like whether it was a female or a guy who's done in the past, like you would have said the same thing even if it was a guy. But I think individuals need to know that that's, you know, if you're never told in the moment, 
as those words are coming out or situations happen, you, you need to course correct it, right? Like this, this is not okay in the culture. This is not okay in the workplace. This is, you know, this is how it's viewed or you, you hurt my feelings or, you know, you could hurt others' potentials. I think those are discussions that just need to be had. It, you never really know. It's kind of hard because it's one of those things from a business partner perspective, you can't train on every single phrase in the workforce, like, or what anyone's going to potentially, like what words could come out of their mouth. You could do your best to do code of conduct training and, you know, sensitivity training and DE&I and all that kind of stuff, right? But until someone says something, sometimes you're just like, wait, did you really just say that? Like, that, that's not, right, that's right. not okay. And I think that's just the approach that you have to take in the business. Unfortunately, you can only be so much proactive. There are times where you're just going to be reactive because sometimes people say things and it's not intentional in how they're coming about with the phrase, but you still, it's still not okay to say in the workplace. Absolutely. So when you think about the workplace, whether this is, you know, our individual leaders that are listening or whether it is some of um, a business owner, right? There's a lot of cost associated with this sort of behavior. One, first and foremost, they're absolutely reporting illegal implications that can result from allowing toxic um, masculinity to be driven as a culture. Because what you're basically doing is you're creating a culture where it is dog eat dog. It is only the strong survive. You get ahead at all cost. Winning is everything kind of mentality. And when you're working in a mentality or when you're working in an environment where that is the mentality, it's super easy to dance on that line of bullying and harassment. And it's even easier to step over that line uh, because you're going to win. You want to win. You know that if you don't win, then your job is potentially at risk. So there are absolutely some legal issues that could be associated with it. Also, you've got to think about health-related issues, mental health, as well as, you know, science is showing us day and day and day over that mental health issues impact our physical health and our physical well-being. So even if you don't have violence or harassment in your workplace, the fact that you create mental health issues definitely means that you've got employees who are sick, they're probably starting to wear it in their lives, maybe as headaches uh, that are constantly coming. As a result of that health, without question, you're going to start to reduce productivity, whether that is from absenteeism or whether it's just from lower job satisfaction so people truly don't bring their best to work because they're not satisfied in general. And then you'll see some financial implications with those things as well. I mean, when you go to that legal, it could be settlements or awards. Um, it could be legal fines, depending on regulations within your state. Now you're probably going to be looking at additional expenses associated to healthcare coverage for your employees. You're going to be looking at waste, missed deadlines, lack of quality redos as a result of productivity issues. And then I got to tell you, we talk about this over and over again, you are absolutely 
going to see increased turnover. And when we are living in a, mar- a job market where the employee dictates their demands, it is not the right time for you to be a bad place to work. It's never a good time, but now it is absolutely not the right time at all. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. So Michelle, what are uh, like three takeaways that our listeners have from, you know, what they should really apply and take action on after they listen to this podcast? So I think one of them we've talked about already, which you said, which was, um, it's time to just kind of look around your environment, see what is happening, be open-minded about it so that you can identify if it's creating an uncomfortable culture for the majority of people that you work with. Uh, You want to ask yourself, are the leaders supporting a masculine dog-eat-dog culture? Or is there a culture where it is okay for you to be a little bit vulnerable, for you to admit that you are not perfect? I think that's the second one. That I would say, particularly for leaders in general, is it is time to be able to admit who you are, be vulnerable in front of your employees. There's absolutely been a time in culture where the organizational structure and expectation was built on the idea that the boss was always right and has all of the answers. But the same way the world has evolved, we evolved along with it. We don't need our leaders to be perfect. We don't need them to have all the solutions. We need them to give us the chance to perform our jobs. We need them to support us by giving us the resources we need and removing obstacles that get in our way. And so as the second thing that I would say is as a leader, It's time to be straight up about what you're great at and let your employees be what they're good at. I can comfortably tell you that one of my greatest team relationships ever was with a team of HR partners. And I call them my partners. I don't care that I had a title. In my mind, being their leader simply meant that I had to approve their time off requests. Um, that mm-hmm. was the that was for me, that was the difference. Otherwise, we were all in this together, except for when shit rolled downhill, I would stop it and I would make sure everybody above me knew them. But if you went and asked any of the folks on that team what I did well and what I didn't, they knew it. Um, and they also knew that I purposely staffed that team in a way that we complimented each other. So no one had to be perfect, but together we made a great team. So I'd say that's the second one is be honest about who you are as a leader. And the last one is a phrase that you have probably heard at the airport. It's the phrase, if you see something, say something. I don't know if you hear that pipe over the airport like every 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) Yep. But... One of the things that's prevalent when it comes to any type of bullying or harassment is we know that the victim is not likely to speak out because by definition, 
you have put victims in a place where they do not feel empowered to do anything about it. And studies show that less than 13% of individuals that face harassment in a work environment make any kind of formal complaint. But those same studies say that those people do speak out. They just don't speak out to people that they think will tell others. So they're not going to HR about it. They're not going to their leaders about it. They're probably talking about it over break with the one or two friends that they think that they can trust. And I'm not suggesting, yeah, I am suggesting. I was going to say, I'm not suggesting you break your friend's confidence, but I am suggesting that. What I'm saying is that you can't just be an ally. You can't just sit there. You need to sit there and make them feel comfortable and empathize with them. You absolutely need to sit there and support them. But that's the problem. And that's why things do not change is because we sit there and we say things like, oh my God, that sucks. I'm so sorry. You shouldn't have to go through that. And then we take it home with us and we never step up to actually take action to do anything about it. So if you see it, say something, you can bring things up without bringing up your friend's name or a person's name. You can absolutely start to collect evidence or proof that a toxic culture exists. And that way, when you bring it up, you have more than just your opinion to back you. Um, But there you go. So that's my three things. I know that was a lot. One, if you're part of the organizational hierarchy in a senior leadership position, it is time to look at your organization. If you are a leader in general, it's time to prove that vulnerability is acceptable. And if you're an individual, it's time to speak up, even if you are not the victim. If you see it, say it. I love it. Well, there you go, listeners. I think we're going to intertwine these different types of articles, books, discussions in regards to uh, DEI and how it's really impacting the organizations and how you can really make an impact within your organization. So you heard it from Michelle and I, you heard it from Michelle directly. If you see something, say something, feel free to reach out to Real Talent if you guys have any more questions or comments for Michelle on some of these, uh, (laughs) you know, comments that she has. But I think we can definitely continue to elaborate on some of the discussions we just had here today. So stay tuned for more within our series throughout this year in 2022. Take care, everyone. Bye.